Welcome to They Came From Outer Space, a radio program where we talk to filmmakers and buffs about their favorite sci-fi film and how it relates to their own work and today's wild world. I'm filmmaker Cameron Kitt, also known here on WRIR as DJ Lilas, and you're listening to WRIRLP 97.3 FM, Richmond Indie Radio. I'm here today with Chad Farmer to discuss the 1990 cult film Dark Angel. Houston, Texas. It's Christmas. Someone special is coming to town. And it's not Santa Claus. Chad, thanks for coming on. Yeah, um, yeah. Uh, thank you for having me, Cameron. I'm awesome. so excited to talk about this movie, especially since it's so underrated. And and I guess maybe what confuses some people is, I don't know if you notice this, uh, Cameron, but it has two different titles. I do. Of the three production studios that came together, it didn't have like a Fox or Paramount style release, but it did get national and international released. It just, I think it, I think it grossed like four million. So it did. It did get out there, but I think it it only really hit its stride in VHS release. And that's way. that's where I seen it. Who could possibly move that fast? Aliens. Say what? Are you crazy? Let me introduce you. So for yeah, those definitely. who don't know, Chad Farmer, he's been a festival producer and programmer for the amazing Genre Blast Film Festival for six years, working with his friend and collaborator Nathan Ludwig. They have built a festival in Winchester, Virginia, that is a haven for horror, sci-fi, and fantasy fans. I had the good fortune to be accepted this year, and I went to the festival in September. And for all of you listening who are in Virginia, make a point to go to this festival. It is so worth it. Uh, Chad has a bachelor's in film from Full, Full Sail University. He's made a handful of films and watched countless thousands in his work as a programmer. <laughs> and oh, uh, did I mention he's also festival director for the Nuga Underground Film Festival and has been since 2018. So you know, right. calm down, Chad. Um, <laughs> he currently lives in Chattanooga, Tennessee with his adorable dog. Yes, feisty. Feisty. Yeah. So, so, yeah, tell me the history. And then, Chad, tell me, why did you choose this film? Okay, so my dad, he, my dad is the one of probably my biggest influence of me with movies. He, uh, I would, my parents, they divorced. And on the weekend, I would go, I would go stay with him on the weekend and he, and he's a movie buff just like me. And this was back, this was probably back in 91. He used to work for a, he worked for Frito-Lay. So he always worked like these weird little mom and pop convenience stores. And every weekend he would go to these convenience stores and a couple of them, they would have just VHS movies that they would get from bigger VHS places. So they would bring them to this convenience store and rent them out. And every weekend he would just bring home the weirdest stuff, you know? <laughs> yeah. I mean, it was, I, you know, some of it was mainstream and, and I think a lot of it that he didn't, he didn't really know what he was getting. He just mm-hmm. thought that maybe I would like it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, uh, I mean, he would bring everything from, I mean, hardcore action to drama, to hard, to sci-fi, and this was one of those that he brought home one weekend. And, and I mean, when I went to his house, I mean, from Friday night till Sunday, till Sunday, when I would go back to my mom's, I would just do nothing but watch movies. He had HBO. I mean, he had it all. Tales from the Crypt, you know, and I watched all that stuff. So uh, I guess I'm giving a little bit of my age away. No, that sounds like the correct kind of childhood. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. I love that because I definitely know this was in Blockbuster. This was in Blockbuster. 
but um, it just kind of, I think it's interesting. It just kind of fell through the cracks. So, so when I asked you, what's your favorite sci-fi film? What made you, what made you say this movie? Oh, well, you know, amazingly, like sci-fi is not my, my, my biggest, my favorite genre of movies, but what I liked about this one, it has a exploitation kind of an exploitation feel to it. Uh, I like the fact that, okay, so there's a scumbag alien from outer space and he's a drug dealer. Right. So he comes to, you know, to planet earth to collect, collect this drug. And uh, to me, you know, it's that exploitation feel and, and there's just the way he collects the, you know, the endorphins from the human and, and it's got like the, the, the out there, you know, with the, with a gun, it's kind of like a machine gun and it's just loaded with action and violence. And, and I guess that's why I picked, picked this because it's more than just a sci-fi movie. It's action and exploitation all and sci-fi all rolled into one. Yes. I mean, it, I, I interviewed this really great guy named, um, Dan Hoffman, he's a script doctor. He had worked with Paramount and he was talking about how sci-fi is never its own genre. It's always a lens to put over other kinds of stories, right? So sci-fi is is sort of like a flavoring that you put on an right. action film or a drama or a romance. And so in this, it's a sci-fi plot, but it's it's really about the action and the stunts for me. And once I started doing more research into Craig's back, Craig Baxley, it's like, once you know his story, all of the mo- the movie made sense, right? Like he's he was oh, a stuntman yeah. for forty five years, and he worked on he was a stunt coordinator for Predator, which I noticed really distinctly. I feel like had a really strong influence on this movie, right? Oh I felt yeah, like, I felt like this is like Predator's little brother in a way. Yeah, but yeah, because in- I mean, you know, Predator he's a he's a he's basically a a bad guy alien as well. You know, so, yeah, yeah, they're both coming to Earth to collect something from us. And I think when I watched Predator, it was actually episode twenty seven of this podcast. I was blown away, first of all, by how good that movie was. But the the unease of the thought of being used as cattle, right? Like that we're just yeah. a source. You know, that was a pretty that's a pretty good thought that, you know, we're actually a source for drugs. But anyway, we're getting a little far ahead. I want to read a quick <laughs> okay. summary. So for those who have not watched this movie, we are gonna spoil the absolute crap out of it. I'll be honest. We're gonna spoil everything. So if you're really worried about, you know, the spoilers at the end, please don't be. But if you'd like to pause this podcast, you can find it on Apple and Spotify and wherever you get your podcasts. Um, but first, I'm going to go through it. So released in 1990, Dark Angel, a.k.a. I Come in Peace, is directed by Craig B. Baxley, released by Vision PDG. There's only one way to describe this movie. It's awesome. Like explosions, gunfights, car chases. There's a band of yuppie criminals and alien drug dealers. Need I say more? Starring Dolph Lundgren, who you may know as Ivan Drago from Rocky IV. He's the bad boy detective Jack Kane. This movie is just, yeah, it's just incredible. It's set in the uh, drug beat of downtown Houston with a 90s hair metal background soundtrack. And uh, Craig, not Craig, Dolph Lundgren, who plays Kane, along with FBI agent Lawrence Smith, investigate a spate of mysterious deaths non-normal junkies dying of massive heroin overdoses and all bearing the same horrific puncture marks on their forehead. Kane is used to fighting the toughest criminals, but up until now, they've all been human. Jack Kane, a cop who does things his own way. What are you doing? Shortcut. He's sensitive, understanding, and kind to strangers. Merry Christmas. But all that's about to end. I'm coming, peace. 
Yeah. So I assume you rewatched it recently. Yeah, I watched it this morning. I get up really early. <laughs> it was like five thirty, so I put it on this morning. I was trying to. <laughs> I had to put it on uh, with the with the with the subtitles at the bottom because I didn't yes. want to wake my kids or my wife up. So yeah. <laughs> but this movie will wake you up. This movie oh, yeah, will definitely. wake you up. So so Chad, what stood out to you watching this movie again? Uh. You know, I've seen this movie several times, and I, and I never really noticed. And this is going to kind of sound funny, but the mullets of oh, the two. I didn't even notice the mullets. I didn't even notice that. I did notice how yeah. late '80s it felt because it's right on the yeah. cusp of like you know. There's a lot of '80s elements in the fashion. Yeah, I didn't notice it, it, the mullets. And it's the and it's the two aliens. Only the two, oh, yeah. the good alien and the bad alien. They both have mul- these gnarly mullets. But they start at the top of their heads. So they kind of yeah. have a little bit of a, like, I liked that that at least makes them feel alien is because they've kind of like mm-hmm. semi-shaved heads. It's kind of very much the Matrix feel for them. Yeah, did you, yeah. Did you get the, like these long black coats? Um, yeah, yeah, I got that. The distinguish them, they have these milky white eyes and then they're mm-hmm. filled with milky pus. And then if they die, they explode. That's how you know it's an alien is they explode yeah. when they die. <laughs> <laughs> and and the uh the t- the the alien I guess you call them their alien guns. Mm-hmm. Those were just I mean you don't see those kind of guns in movies today. It was like they were a handgun slash machine gun and grenade and, launcher. Yeah, and grenade launcher exactly. So the action is what stood out, you know, most for me in this. So I, it's just off the charts. So yeah, I guess. The mullets and the uh, the gun action, those were what impressed me the most. Yeah, if those words sound appealing to you, go find this movie. Because oh, I yeah. found myself, about halfway through, I started counting the number of cars that exploded. And then I looked at the budget, and I could not square those two things. It just did not make sense. It's a $7 million budget in 1990, which means it's probably somewhere around, let's say, $15 million now. Right? Maybe $12 million. Yeah. And there's got to be, there's over 30 cars that explode in this movie. And there's about oh, yeah. a dozen set pieces. It just doesn't make sense how he managed to get this much action into this movie. Um, so the thing that stood out to me talking about the alien uh, weapons is Talik, the evil alien, the drug dealer. Mm-hmm. Um, this is the best, it's the best log line ever. Alien drug dealer, two words, we're done. Um, is that he has a CD launcher. <laughs> It's the most yeah. 90s weapon, and this CD is basically a hyper-strong magnet that hones in on humans and cuts their throats and jumps around. But it's just, it's so delightful. Like, it's, because CDs were still somewhat new in 1990, right? They had been doing, we'd been doing Betamax, we'd been doing, what, um, tapes. So I think the concept of a CD was kind of futuristic, right? The, something exciting yeah. about using it as a weapon. And it's just hilarious to watch it now because if you're not, if, if you were born after 9-11, a CD is a small plastic disc that has <laughs> rainbow coloring where, where media is encoded on it and you have to put it inside of a player and music or a DVD maybe, or, you know, some kind of content would come out the other side. Um, but yeah, what did you think of his CD launcher? Oh, man. I mean, I mean, I grew up in the 90s, so I mean, it was, it was really... It was definitely cool, but I, I I didn't really think it was that weird because I mean I grew up on CDs, yeah, you know, and to have that razor sharp edge to just to just uh to just just to cut through and it was just, and just for it to like bounce off the walls and the uh, Dolph Lundgren at the end, you know, he he has the speaker with him that just comes out of nowhere. Yes, 
Yes. And he catches towards the end. I did notice that. I thought that was funny. I was like, where did he ha- where did he come up with a speaker at the end of the movie? Where did he get that to catch the <laughs> It's in the back of his car. But you know what? I actually really appreciated that because okay. Yeah. This movie is pretty cheesy. Some of the writing, some of the like some of the spoken lines are a little are a little cheesy, but it's so I think the elements that I find that make it it's kind of having a revival right now. It's having like a cult revival. Yeah. Is because like he, there was no dialogue to show you following Detective Kane making that decision. In the beginning, he sees that it gets lodged in a speaker. At the end, he opens up his trunk and grabs what looks like a speaker and catches mm. it. Like a, catches, he never says out loud, I'm going to catch this. You know, he just does yeah. it. And you see him. And that just gives you so much confidence in his ability. Right. Mm. He's such a classic bad boy from, the, you know, throwing away the rule book. Like a cop who does things his own way. He's such a great embodiment of that character. And Dolph, I think... For, for a Swede, does the American detective from Houston pretty well. You know, you can oh, still yeah. hear those, you can hear hints of Sweden in him occasionally, but for the most part, um, I thought he did a good job. You know, like he carried it. And yeah. I, this is the only, I don't, he didn't get that many movies where he was the main character. You know, this was, was this after Rocky IV? I guess it was. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. That's a good question. Uh, let's see. After yes, this was after Rocky Four. Yes, yeah, that was that was eighty five. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So tell me about Dolph Lundgren because you knew more about him than I did when I when I watched this movie. Uh he's very he's he's like this Kim. He's I, and I don't know why he got into acting. I mean he's he's really. I mean he. I mean he does all action. I, I mean I could sit here and I could name off several movies, some other movies that I know of him, but he is like very highly intelligent he's a Mm -hmm. chemist Mm -hmm. uh yeah i mean his iq is just off the charts so how he got into how he got into acting uh i i don't know (laughs) i'm i'm gonna guess that he's six five and super hot that's what i think it is i think he just i think he looks like a an act he looks like an actor and i think people probably told him his whole life you should act and he said i'm really smart I don't know either. I should research this, but I was shocked to find out that this man, before getting into acting, had a master's degree in chemical engineering. He had he had had road scholarships, um, and he was a third degree black belt. He's continued to earn multiple martial arts. Uh, oh like, yeah, degrees, and he he actually led the American karate team in the Olympics in the eighties. Like this guy has done more than just acting. It's awesome. Uh, you know, bringing up the. Bringing up the karate, here's another one for you, camera that that you may want to check out with him. And it's the same; he has the same machismo in it, if not even more. It's uh, Showdown in Little Tokyo, and uh, Bruce Lee's son is his sidekick, which is uh, Brandon Lee. So you should check that one out as well. So not Big Trouble in Little China. No, no, it's Showdown. I want to say. Little, it's either Showdown in Tokyo or Showdown in Little Tokyo. Okay, definitely. Because, yeah, watching his performance of the action, it's just obvious. Like, he, there's a great, there's a great tidbit about the roundhouse kick in the opening. Do you know that backstory? Yeah. No, I don't. So the opening scene, there's some robbers, and he's got to go, you know, be a detective and take them down. He does a roundhouse kick, but for that take, because he's so tall, he's six five. Yeah. He slid and the actor missed his mark by about two feet. So he connects and really does roundhouse kick this guy in the head um, to the ground. And when you watch it, you can tell that it's a real kick. It's excellent. Oh, man. <laughs> it's yeah. like, 
there's a line from um, Brian Benben, who's the guy who plays Agent Smith, who's, who said, Dolph size and physique really did a number on us. He's a very big boy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And Brian Benben, he's he he done a, a an HBO series in, I want to say it was like the late 80s, early 90s, Dream On. I don't know if you looked that up. Or, no, I did uh, not. No, I yeah. did not. He looked, he looked semi-familiar. Yeah. Um, so, Chad, I want to ask you a little bit about, you know, your own work and, and you know, relating this to all the genre stuff you've seen. But first, I want to tell you that you're listening to WIRLP 97.3 FM, Richmond Indie Radio. I'm Cameron Kitt. I'm here talking to Chad Farmer from Genre Blast and the Nuga Film Festival about 1990s Dark Angel. Your psycho stole a lot of heroin to kill people with. <laughs> What are you going to do? Tell them we're, we're fighting drug dealers from outer space? Huh? <laughs> we're back. So, Chad, you've watched thousands of movies. What do you notice that makes action good, especially when we're talking about low budgets? You know, this is kind of a low budget film, but what are the things you've seen in the films that you've screened and movies of the different you know programs that you've programmed? What kind of tips do you have for doing action for low budget filmmakers? Uh, I would say it's your camera angles. Hmm. Cause you want that quick, you know, you want that quick moving around and what's that, what's that movie? Hardcore Henry. I don't know. Have you seen that one, Cameron? Of course I have. I think, you know, I think it's, I think it's about the camera angles cause you, you want to be a part it it, it kind of makes you you want to be a part of that fight you know it's not just uh set the camera on a on a tripod and just get these stagnant shots it's just getting in there and moving around and getting in with the action and and you feel like you're getting kicked in the head or whatever or or you're throwing that punch you want to be right there involved with it and that and that's what that's what gets me most about action uh movies like uh raid uh, Raid Two, The Redemption, those those type of movies. I mean, uh, American action doesn't even compare to what you know what they do uh, with with Asian action cinema. I mean, it, it's just unreal. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. And and I noticed this. I watched a video that really kind of changed um, how I think about it. American action films tend to cut right as the action's happening and then cut to another yeah. reaction shot. They, we never actually see someone taking a punch. Like you see Jackie Chan take a punch. You see Bruce oh, Lee yeah. get punched in the stomach. And it's all it's these long takes where they have tons of time. But I think like it's subtle, but it made such a big difference to see that Dolph Lundgren had that martial arts background. But what you're mm. talking about with camera angles is so simple and so true. It's something you don't think about. Like when you're thinking about setting up a shot, you have to think, how am I going to tell this story the best? And if you want people to feel like they're in the action, you have to put them in the action yeah. and move the camera when they get punched. There's a quote that Dolph Lundgren had in, they re-released this movie, I think in 2013 on DVD. Thank goodness. And he was talking about how Craig had a lot of people on the picture who were stuntmen. This is, we'll get into the budget, but his quote was, he has this thing where the actors have to be in the same shot as the action. This was before CGI. So you have all the actors in the same shot as this huge explosion. And I thought, oh, yeah, that's why it feels good. But like, then you think you've put Dolph Lundgren next to all these explosions over and over. His poor man. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he's, uh, I mean, I don't know how many of, of his movies that you've watched, but you should really, 
he's got so many good ones that there's another really good one that he's in that he plays a mercenary and uh, it's really low budget. It's called men of war. And uh, he, I, I won't go in. I know this is not about, about that, but she, if it's really low, it's one of, it's probably dark angel and men of war are probably my two favorite movies and, and, and showdown in little Tokyo. Those are probably, and those are not like even his biggest movies, but those are probably, uh, my three three favorite of him because of the action in it. So, so yeah, I, yeah. So you've made a handful of films with Nate Ludwig and some friends. I think Farmwig is your the production company you all work with or do stuff under. Correct. Have you ever done any explosions? Can you talk about any action you've done or any horror stuff, like how you've set up some of these shots? Have you ever tried? Well, Obviously, explosions are a little challenging for low budget, but you know, have you ever done any kind of stunts yourself? No, I haven't. I haven't done, I guess the most thing that I've done action is, is I think me and you talked about this when we met at the film festival, the, the really, it was called PMS, preteen monster syndrome. Yes. Uh, I won't go all into the. No, you the, should. I was actually going to ask about it because it actually has a lot of overlap with Dark Angel, I think. Oh, okay. Don't uh, you think? Like, yeah. yeah, like tell me, I mean, to me, the, the plot kind of has a little bit of overlap. It also, it just seems way funnier than Dark Angel. Even the Dark Angel has some really good humor. A lot of the humor in Dark Angel is playing off of kind of the buddy cop relationship between this uptight, small FBI agent and this, you know, kind of rough neck, manly man detective. But PMS seemed like it was just nonstop laughs. And I have to say, after watching the trailer, I definitely watch it. So tell me, how did you guys come up with the idea for that? Uh, well, I have a wife and I have three daughters. Is that enough detail? <laughs> you've walked into a home that is just a wall of estrogen you've walked into a wall of estrogen before yes that's, that's enough yes. detail okay <laughs> and, yeah. and and uh and, and basically you know i guess I, you know you i mean anytime you do a short film or a feature film you always do casting mm-hmm. well i didn't do any casting for this mm-hmm. i i solely Everybody that that's in it, except for two people, they were all my friends, mm-hmm. and I based it off what they look like. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have this one, like the main the main character. His name's Coker, and he's and he's like this big six five six four. He's a he's a black guy, and he's one of the nicest guys you'll ever meet. But I solely he had never acted in anything. And I solely picked him for just the way he looks. Yeah. He's just huge. And he just plays like this coked out maniac. I feel and, like that, uh, that's a kind of similar for Dolph. I think he oh, might yeah. have been chosen for his size and his physique. Oh, yeah. Right? Uh, yeah, definitely. Yeah. And uh, and then I got another uh, another friend. He's a little, he's, he's a little hefty. And uh, I chose him as like this serial, he's in a... <laughs> We describe him in our short film as an aggressive romantic, but you take that to the most extreme, uh, you know, the extreme measure. Right. And again, I know we're doing this over radio, so I won't, <laughs> I won't put in too many details on that. Well, and, uh, the, the log line I love, a new drug on the street tur- that turns girls on, on their period into raging mutant monsters severely impacts the business of a flamboyant pimp and his rogues. <laughs> yes. Nathan, I'm, I'm going to... <laughs> 
uh, I'm going to have to give that credit to Nathan. He is the one that wrote the log line for it. He's amazing. Yeah. He's amazing at doing and how we wrote the, uh, how we wrote it is uh, like all the short, the, on, on this one, I, and we originally, we done it. I wanted, just wanted to do it as like this grimy exploitation trailer. Right. And, and it just got completely out of hand. <laughs> and, uh, it definitely I, felt very grindhouse to me. Yeah. Oh yeah, it is. And I sent it to him and he added like a lot of the funny dialogue and we, we, we described this as I, uh, I pooped it out and he flushed it. So <laughs> that's exactly, you know what? That's exactly how partnerships work. And yeah. I have a, my friend, Andy Arches, she's directing this documentary I'm producing called sister radio. I've directed all the shorts I've directed. She's either DP or assistant directed. Like it helps to have this person to bounce and finish ideas. It, I think oh, it's, yeah. it's, I'm being, I'm actually beginning to see a lot more co-directing teams in Hollywood. And it just seems like, you know, the Game of Thrones showrunners and things like that. Um, so tell me about the moment that would say like the moment of the most gore action that happens in the film and, and how did you achieve it? <laughs> well, there's another character. His name is Mr. Taffy. Mm-hmm. And he, he lot, uh, to put it lightly, he likes underage kids a little too much, if you know Great. what I mean. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Cool. So, so, so the main character, she's 15 years old. Yeah. <laughs> well, it, it, there's, you don't see any, not all, all, it's just implied in it. Nothing. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. I hear you. And, uh, nothing implied, you know, nothing happens, but he goes, she has already turned into the monster and he goes looking for her and he ends up at her house and he's in her room and he's searching through her drawers and, like through her, you know, like just trying to find something that he likes of hers and he finds some things that he shouldn't have. And uh, so he's sitting on the bed and he's kind of enjoying his moment. And she comes up behind him and she rips, like she grabs a hold of his throat and rips it and just blood kind of squirts out everywhere. And as he's laying on the gr- on the floor, she reaches down and grabs his family jewels Yep. Rip, rips them off. Yep. And squatches them in her hands. Okay, so it is a feminist film. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, uh, yeah. I mean. <laughs> that sounds awesome. Uh, yeah. How did you do it? <laughs> well, we, 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 we had a makeup guy. He was really good. Uh, so we took, an, we took two hard-boiled eggs and we peeled just, just the outer shell of okay, it all. Okay, warning for those. <laughs> Do what? I'm sorry. This is a trigger warning for those listening. Body horror description. Yeah, this is. I'm yeah. already laughing. Boiled eggs. Okay. Yeah, I mean, it's, I mean, it was nothing. It was just. So my wife, she, the the makeup guy, he needed some help. So my mm-hmm. wife, she volunteered to help. So him and her. They're try. They're just peeling just the shell. You know how after the shell has kind of got like that little membrane around it. Yes. So they were trying to peel the shell the shell off, but leave the membrane on it. So I don't know, man. I I was busy directing, and me and Nathan were doing while they were trying to achieve that. But they were so I so, mean they just done that and just kind of painted it. Just kind of painted it where it looked like the family jewels. You know. Interesting. And uh, there's a scene where. She 
she stands up and she has it and she just squishes it in her hands, the egg. And just, and that's the end of Mr. Taffy. That so, sounds amazing. Yeah. yeah. So, so you're, you're a fan of in-camera effects. Oh yeah, definitely. I mean, I, again, I mean, I grew up, you know, I grew up in the eighties with all the eighties monster horror movies. And I mean, they didn't even think about CGI. And I mean, I don't think CGI come around what to like, they started experimenting with it in the night in the maybe like the yeah, mid nineties, late nineties. Yeah. Yeah. I think of, I think and, of the Scorpion King. Uh, everyone makes fun of that moment where, where the rock's face is all distorted. That was 1998 or something or no, yeah. maybe a little late or that was probably in the early two thousands. But yeah, it's, it's interesting. Like you watch the movie, like John Carpenter's the thing, which will never not look good. And then you watch movies like any of the Marvel movies coming out or a movie that I really love, which is Pacific Rim. And you can just always tell. You still can tell. Oh, yeah. It's so, it's for me, there's the gap is so far, you know, mm. that there's so much distance. Um, yeah. So what, what's your favorite moment of action or gore in Dark Angel? Uh, I would think anytime you see like him shooting the little, the, I don't know what you would call it. The little, the, the rod out of his hand where it goes into their chest. Yeah. Very much like the matrix. Don't you think? Yeah. Yeah. I thought that, I thought that that must've somehow influenced them because this came out nine years before the matrix. Yes. The, the drug delivery system, which is a, which is a wire that goes into your chest, but it has Mm -hmm. kind of like a prehensile ability to be controlled. It's very scary. Yeah. And the, uh, I mean, when this, when, when the, this, the CD gun, when that shoots out, yeah, and it, and then I've I've always been like a big fan in horror movies where 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 it's got uh where the neck gets cut. That's just I, and, no. and I thought and I thought those were done very well. Yeah, so, yeah. Um, so so coming back to budget and stunts on this movie, okay. this movie again, just like I think I, a lot of the reason I do this podcast is to glean knowledge on how to make sci-fi films and but and horror and, and genre films on a budget right to learn what did these people do well and how can i copy that and i mean one thing you can say is i guess work in stunts for 45 years <laughs> that's what he did but the, but the lines were like so before i think there's kind of different kinds of directors there's the werner herzog school where he says your best set of tools is a pair of bolt cutters and then there's the kind of more studio directors where you have to have a lot of safety and production registration and you know you're more by the book and I think Craig Baxley is the former because his kind of direction was, this is like a quote from him. Guys, we're going to need you to s- say your line, hit your mark, then run as fast as you can while we blow up that car next to you. Like, it's just, it's just <laughs> like, okay, this is how we're going to go. And, and well, f- well, I guess for those listening, explain what a programmer and or a, or a director of a festival's job is. Like, what do you actually do? Okay, so like, I mean, the the festival director, which you know, uh, which Nathan does on Genre Blast, and I do on New Underground. I mean, it's pretty much just the logistics of it. I mean, we kind of both we both share duties of watching the, uh, you know, watching the films. But I guess you could say that the festival director is more they deal with like the people who submit. They set up the venue, you know, get. Uh, talk to all the directors and make sure everything's good to go and talk to the to the theater and get all that going and and 
pretty much do the lineup, like what plays at this time and all that kind of stuff. And it's pretty much just the logistics of it. And as far as a programmer, uh, it's just watching everything. <laughs> and and that's pretty much, that's what I, uh, I mean, I watched for, uh, for John or Blast. It was probably seven, including feature films and short films. That was probably close to, 800 films and uh yeah yeah i mean and 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 after all and and i'll do it as long as you know as long as me and as long as nathan's in it i'll be in it uh because me and him work really well together but it's just after a while you kind of you don't especially when it's a bad one you just you don't even enjoy it well yeah i mean it makes you sad right yeah yeah so, so that's something that really astounds me because I, I've noticed my own attention span has shrunken over time because of social media and our phones. Mm-hmm. My ability to even read an article has really taken a hit. So how, how do you maintain discipline when you're watching, you know, the 40th short film of the day? Uh, to maintain discipline, I guess the best way I can, like, if you this is kind of like my own rule. If I watch, I don't know, maybe if I watch like three or four in a bad, three or four bad ones in a row, I'm just like, I'm done. But you know, if I just, maybe if I watch two or three and then I watch a really good one, then that gives me motivation to, okay, well I'll just watch two or three more. So it's just, I just kind of judge it in my head to, if I get a run of bad ones, I just like shake my head like I'm, I'm done with it. So I guess that's not discipline, but if I watch two or three really good ones in a row, then I'll just keep going until I hit a run of bad ones. And then, and, and then I guess I maybe get a headache or my eyes well, it's, <laughs> start hurting a little bit. <laughs> it's interesting because you have a job that is really hard. I had one other programmer come on this festival on my um, podcast. His name is Kifa Futa. He's a programmer on South by Southwest. Okay. And it's like how I, you have to recognize that you have bias because a lot of people would say that this is a bad movie. The Dark Angel is a bad movie, right? So this is quote a bad one. So I guess my question is, what's your rubric? Because I know we're told the traditional things like make sure you have good sound. I always think of that one. Like good quality sound is kind of the first indication of whether or not there's craft. Like what's the quality of the camera work, quality of the acting. But like, do you have your own rubric that has some kind of special Chad Farmer rules that you look for? Uh, Yeah. I would th- I th- I would think the first thing is especially if it's action or horror and if it's a short film you want something like like say for a horror it would be like a really gnarly like a really gross or violent kill uh if it's action it's just be just something off the wall that really cuz in a short film you have a very short amount of time to tell your story and to get your point across. And you want to grab that viewer, especially in a short film and like in that first minute. And then, you know, in a feature film, uh, I'll maybe give it 25 minutes. And if something doesn't grab me, then, I mean, obviously, you know, I'll keep watching it because, but yeah, I mean, it's just something that has to grab you. Like, like with yours, like your with your short film, the thing that grabbed me with it was the colors in it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that uh, that was really and the I think me and you also discussed this the 
the set design of the place that they were at, it kind of had like that grimy, sleazy feel to it. And that's what really grabbed me about yours. And yeah. Yeah. Actually, I don't talk about my work much on this podcast, but the film he's talking about is called Chlorine and it was all shot mostly underwater. And I was no, I knew I was trying to go for something that my, a lot of my intention writing this was, I don't want to shoot in a house. I want to shoot somewhere that, that people haven't seen before in a different yeah, location definitely. than people are used to seeing. So I tried to, and I, I actually got criticized for putting some of the, I tried to pull the moment where she's pulled into the pool. I put that in uh-huh. the first 30 seconds for that exact reason that you said, it's like, I don't yeah. want them to have to wait. I want you to know that it's going to, something exciting about to happen, you know? And that's, I'm glad to hear that rule, but it's, I like that. Like start with a scream, start with a gnarly kill. Yeah, that's a definitely. pretty good rule of thumb. I think some people might in your mind, you might think I have to build it up. But I keep thinking about the fact that um, we have to keep our phones away from us when we're enjoying cinema now because there's this tug, like, oh, you got to, you know, like there's this tug of my attention. So I I guess what you're saying is think of the programmer's attention. (laughs) Think of Oh, yeah, definitely. And and, and I'll tell you another thing. We don't get enough. And I guess because action is so hard to do and – because there's there's so much more safety that's involved in it. Because I worked on a feature film, and it was actually it was Drive Angry with Nicolas Cage, and the um, the the time that they do a setup for action, and all the safety that they go through is just unreal. And and, and I guess when you do that, you kind of had you have to add in, you know, how much it costs. And I guess maybe that's why we don't get enough action because the preparation. Uh, action film, short films, feature films that we don't get enough. So if you want to get into a film festival, I think Nathan, he said this, uh, if you want to get into a film festival, submit action. That'll pretty much, that's a, we don't get enough of it. Yeah. Okay. There was an action film in the actions block. That was the very first shorts block. I can't remember if it was extraction or the plumber or chained what it was called, but it was a, it's about a guy with a red leather jacket. Do you remember the one I'm talking about where he goes into it? He does like a fight, an intricate fight sequence. Yes, I do. Yes. And I remember thinking, okay, this was, you could tell it had a low budget, but the fight sequence was like, it had humor, which I find really important and really good quality fights stunts. And yeah, what I'm hearing is anybody out there who's in film, generally the genre studio, they're looking for action. We got enough horror. Right? Yeah. Is that right? <laughs> we yeah. have enough oh, more. Yeah. Do oh. some action, fill it in. Yeah, I probably watched three or four hundred, uh, three to four hundred horror short films, and maybe not even, probably not even a hundred of of action films. Maybe I would say maybe like forty to fifty. There was not a lot of action. So yeah. Okay, because I do want to get back. I really, I just, I really appreciate this information, Chad, because I think people listening, whether they're into film or they're actually filmmakers, it's interesting to kind of hear behind the scenes stuff we don't think about. Festivals are really crucial for filmmakers because it's where we find our network. Like I was, I made a ton of connections at your festival, people who were interested in the exact same things I was interested in and were kind of on my level where we are in our career. And it's so nice to like build that network. I think that's Mm. important also to find your audience and and have people come see that kind of work. But, um, how do you square that with the fact that what I've always been told is horror always makes money, right? A horror film generally makes money at the box office and oh, an action yeah. film is expensive and a horror is not. So, so, yeah. you know, how is it's the tip, maybe you start learning a martial art so you can work on your own stunts. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, and I mean, I guess you got to add that safety factor in there. Then when you add that safety, you know, you got to get all kind of insurance. And and again, I think maybe it's just the cost of making an action film. Why a lot of why a lot of people don't do it because I mean, you know as well as I do, Cameron. In independent, you don't have all that money, and and if somebody gets hurt and you don't have insurance, then uh, whatever happens to them, you can get in a lot of trouble. So, and again, I think that's why a lot of action, especially in, uh, you know, short films that they don't get that, you know, they don't do them because we just don't have the money to, to spend on all that, you know, because mm-hmm. you, you got to get a stunt man and you got to pay them and mm-hmm. stuntmen are so underrated mm-hmm. that um, the stuff that they do is just, is just unreal. I have a mm-hmm. high amount of respect for them. I do too. I've been yeah. I've been watching a YouTube a lot of YouTube series of, of, of like watching stuntmen break down different scenes and talk about their role. And the mm-hmm. big takeaway that I'm getting, especially from watching this film, is when you give a stuntman the reins to de- to deliver a scene, they can generally do it under budget because they're able to know how to do this, how to set it up, right? I think. Right. Um, so maybe one of the tips is try your hand at, 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 you know, working in stunts and, and, and studying under stunt coordinators and start learning the ropes that way. Cause when you think about, um, Chad Klosky, the guy who did John Wick, do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Um, he's, he's a stunt man. And that's mm-hmm. why those movies, the action just slaps, like the action slaps <laughs> those movies yeah. because he came from that background. And, and when I watch some of these stunt people reacting videos, a lot of what you hear is in the bigger budget, they say they have 10 days to shoot the dialogue and then they give the stunt people one day to shoot the, the entire set of stunts, right? You're not giving them enough time to really set it up. So mm-hmm. I respect stuntmen a lot. It is an art. It's an incredible art. And oh, they put yeah, their bodies definitely. on the line for them. So, mm-hmm. yeah. What was some of the stunts that stood out to you in Dark Angel? Mm, I would think I, 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 the car chase. Yeah, and Brian, you know Brian Ben Ben with this humongous handgun. I don't know. I don't know what it was, <laughs> but you know, I, I and again, I've seen this movie a bunch of times, but I didn't. I didn't really realize the quality of the of the car chase that's mm-hmm. in it. Mm-hmm. And I think that those that was the best that you know that stood out to me. And then and 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 I, and, and then again, like you said, the size of Dolph, Dolph Lundgren and how he can pull off these roundhouse kicks. Mm-hmm. Between him missing his mark and me slipping, I, I clocked him right in the head. He passed out and it, was, it looks perfect in the movie. If you look at that kick, you're going to see it's like, it totally looks like a hit because it is a hit. And uh, just how big he is. I mean, mm-hmm. it's usually, you don't, you don't see that in that type of guy. You usually see that in the, in the Asian accent cinemas, you know, where these, these muscular guys, but they're not real tall. I mean, they can just do unimaginable things that if I'd done it, then I would break every bone in my body or... <laughs> I would be in the emergency room, you know. <laughs> and he just, he gets thrown 20 feet. So the only person bigger than Dolph Lundgren in this movie is Matthias Hughes, who plays Talek the alien. And so watching them fight, I think Talek, Matthias is also 6'5". Somehow they shoot it so he seems even bigger than Dolph. But it's yeah. really interesting. He had to perform all of his own stunts because there was no stunt person available who was also 6'5". Like, he's just mm. ginormous. And that, you know, the camera picks those things up. You feel his scale. I think the final fight, I love a movie where it's like this movie just follows all the beats. It builds up. It has a great red herring. It's got humor. It moves quickly. It's a 90 minute movie, but the final fight is great. Like when the the gun doesn't click, but the, like the actual action between them, I thought was 
had really good how do I say that like fight charisma do you know what I mean oh um, yeah so yeah, let's, it, oh go ahead oh no I was just gonna I was just gonna go back to some of Dolph if, if you want some more of that definitely check out shit uh listeners out there definitely check out showdown in little tokyo okay and uh i, I highly recommend that one because it, it's got bruce lee's son in it brandon lee cameron i don't know if you're familiar with him he done the crow and, uh-huh. okay so yeah you should check that out as well uh but yeah i, I mean just the the choreo you know the fighting and it was really well done mm-hmm. and it and it yeah. and it doesn't feel super clunky um, no it, it kind of flows you're listening to They Came From Outer Space here on WRIR LP 97.3 FM, Richmond Indie Radio. I'm Cameron Kitt here with Chad Farmer from Genre Blast and Nuga Film Fest. And we're talking about the movie Dark Angel from 1990 with Dolph Lundgren. I come in peace. Dolph Lundgren. And you go in pieces. Dark Angel. So, Chad, what can filmmakers take away besides the stunts? Especially thinking about low budget. What can this movie teach us? Uh, well, I would... I would say, you know, me, I'm, I'm really into to exploitation. And I think it tells like a really... It, it has a really good it blends the sci-fi in mm-hmm. with the exploitation aspect of mm-hmm. it. And I think it's like a good crossbreed of two different genres. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I would say that's the most for me. I mean, cause it's just, it, it's great. It, it's the perfect blend. Mm-hmm. And maybe, you know, filmmakers learn maybe to get on board with that a little bit more because mm-hmm. you don't want the, it, and I think you mentioned earlier with with Marvel, it's always the it's always a cookie cutter story, mm-hmm. you know. And and Marvel movies are my least favorite movies to go and see, hmm. and because they're all the story the, the stories are basically always the same. But something like with Dark End with, with Dark Angel, you, it it blends those two genres together and it comes up with something really special. And, and I think that's something that we need, that we need more of in, in mainstream cinema and you just don't get it. And, and independent, well, this is not really independent filmmaking, but it is lower budget film compared to Disney. Yeah. You know, I think oh, what yeah. I noticed well, yeah. when Disney acquired Marvel, it's when you start to notice all the jokes feel really sanitized, but they know exactly how to make money, you know, like they know, oh, yeah. they know what they're doing and they know how to make money. But mm-hmm. the the way that this movie, like, I think something that I thought of a lot, I thought a lot about Verhoeven in this, that, like, he sometimes even goes past Verhoeven level with the zaniness. And mm-hmm. that's what sells me is that there's just weirdness. There's weirdness in it. Like, all the side characters, I especially love the scientists. There's this moment where you meet the scientist. He's clearly tweaked out. He talks about how yes. American coffee can't keep a hamster up at night. So he's, like, been, he's on, you know, he's got all, all these pills. And when he's talking, he throws his legs over his head. And it's such a small thing. Like every single side character in this movie just reemphasizes how bizarre the world is, and it makes it yeah. feel like when the aliens land. I, my other favorite thing about this movie is the fact that ever the fact that there are aliens on Earth never seems to really surprise or upset anyone. Like everyone seems to be like, "Oh yeah, okay, well alien, well 
you know, we got to go figure out what's going on. You know, like the, the FBI is immediately like, we got to make contact. The military benefits are enormous. I was like, Wait, nobody's, yeah. nobody's freaking out about this. <laughs> like, I was like, oh, yeah, <laughs> it's just an alien. Did you notice that? I don't know. I felt like I never see Dolph. He has like a moment where maybe it's hard to convince the boss. That's it. You know, like. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I did see the. Especially, you don't see it so much today, but like your 80s and 90 action movies, you always have the the uh, the police chief or whatever, uh-huh. the, the big boss man. They're awesome. always this this hard, hard tail, you know, and and they they know they know the cop that Dolph Lundgren that character. They know he's doing his job, but they always like to give him crap. Yes, you know. Uh, so yeah, you always get that and. Uh, so yeah, I mean it's just, and to me that was the only cookie cutter part of that movie. But they're you talking talking about side characters. Here's another one. You uh, remember when they're in the bar, and he goes oh. in there with Bri- yeah the, the older <laughs> guy, the, the little short. <laughs> yes, I do. Yeah, he, just, him, he goes. I, he goes. <laughs> I love him. Like, and I can't, I can't, th- did, did you get his name? I can't, I can't think of it right. I would have to look up. His name is literally Boner. That was the name yes, of the guy. Boner. <laughs> and, uh, I mean, I could watch him in anything. He's in another really good one that's pretty much the same. And he's always kind of like, he's always this weaselly little character that has this creepy little voice. And he's in another one that's uh, Tango Cat with Tango and Cash with, uh, he's kind of like Q from James Bond. Exactly. He's the yeah. cute. Well, so like to me, those side characters emphasize the world that is out there and they all already have some kind of weird backstory, but they make it so much better. Yeah. Like to me, the the white boys, I love them so much. They're white oh, collar, yeah. a white collar criminal cocaine dealing gang who has board mm-hmm. meetings to talk about their profits. It's one of the best little lampoonings of, of capitalism I've, I've seen. And they're, they're hilarious. Like, I just love that. He's like, stay away from me and my white boys. <laughs> just so funny like the like everybody's delivery is so over the top that it makes the action it never makes the action feel too too silly right like everybody is over the top in everything they do you know like the girlfriend he offers to take her on a vacation and and she gleefully is skipping away and she goes kane if you take me back on this if you don't come through i'm gonna fill your lungs with water and then like skips off i was like what kind of universe is this And how? And when the first time she sees him, she like slaps him. She just keeps slapping him. She's a and... slap. She's a slapper. She slaps. Yes. She slaps a lot. Yeah. I was glad to see that she makes it into. She makes an appearance in the final fight, so she at least has more kind of a character appearance. This movie does not pass the Bechdel test, but I don't think that's surprising to anybody. No. no. Um. So with the last few minutes, I was thinking a okay. lot about of humor because Chad, a lot of the work that you've done when you make films they're funny. I feel like, I don't know if that's your first intention, but I personally find making a funny film a lot harder than making a dramatic film. And that's why I I really respect humor. And I feel like to be funny, especially to an audience, which just means the general public is a lot harder than making a dramatic statement. I even would Mm -hmm. say that for actors. So like when I saw you dancing in the Hemaway commercial, (laughs) the slow-mo dancing of you in a field I don't. I, I guess you'll have to tell people where they can find this video. I have. I, I almost spit kombucha all over myself. Like I was <laughs> dying. So my question is, how? How do you like? What advice do you have for about striking humor with your audience? With or like, how do you make something funny? 
I don't it Nathan I mean he's really good at the the writing it, you know at the end where you see the all the side effects that was I come up with the speech at the first and at the end he comes up with all the with all the symptoms and how do I come up with funny? That's a good question. I, I think maybe some of this was, I guess maybe you just take like a, so like pretty much all the stuff that I've done is, is kind of related to, you know, personal experiences and you just, you just blow it out of proportion. Mm-hmm. I mean, to, to mm-hmm. the nth, to the nth degree. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I mean, I've got, uh, I've got, I got another one. It's, uh, dead of night. And I, I, I won't go all into the, the story of it, but it's, a. it's very part. It, it has some personal elements to it. And, and, and again, I think trying to make it funny is, I mean, even if it's a tragic situation, you got to find, no matter how ridiculous or what it is, you got to find the humor in it. And yes, and, make it funny, make people laugh out of it. Cause I mean, at the end of the day, this is a, there's, it's life can be horrible. Yeah. And, and it's short. Gotta, <laughs> yeah. And you got to find some way to laugh about it, you know, yeah. but deal with it. I think your point about throat blowing it way out of proportion, I think is something that Craig Baxley does. That's oh, yeah. what makes this movie work is this entire movie is, an explosion it's it's cars it's like it comes all the way at you and i think that's why it's lasted so long so um with that being said go find this movie and and chad farmer thanks so much for coming on i want to know where can people find your work and and what's coming up for you and what you're working on uh well i I really don't get on social nathan he is he tells me i need to get on there a lot more than what i do uh but uh, you can find some of my stuff on youtube I've got two short films that I don't have on there. And I think what, what we have, what we have talked about is maybe doing like an anthology film of all of our short films that we, we've, we've thought about doing that. We haven't done it yet. So that may, that may be in the works. It'll have PM. It'll probably have PMS on there. Uh, we got one that's called what's for dinner. And, uh, maybe i don't know if you i don't did you did you watch late submission i did i want to see i just okay. watched the trailer which i loved i was like mm, film mm, yeah. actual yeah. film delicious we actually, we actually filmed that with a super i, I bought a 80 dollar super 8 millimeter camera off of off of ebay and we shot it in black and white and i had no audio gear so it looks I great came, well thank you and i just come up with the idea of hey with no audio so let's do a silent film yeah That'll do it. Um, So what about the two festivals that you work under? Okay, so uh, Chandra Blast, that's Nathan's film festival. Uh, It's pretty much everything. It's action, sci-fi, drama, comedy, horror. It's a little bit of everything, you know. Mm -hmm. We kind of, we try to cover all the genres. Mm -hmm. Uh, We'll be going into the seventh year. It's in Winchester, Virginia. I think it's always on Labor, yeah, Labor Day. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's a really good one. It's, uh, we haven't opened submissions for that. I think we were going to wait till the first of the year to do that. Okay. And and then I have Nuga Underground that's in Chatta, Chattanooga. It's a little bit more. I try not to make it too serious. Mm-hmm. It's I, I I go for exploitation. Uh, uh, maybe some of the horror stuff that you won't see in regular films. That's maybe just a little bit too violent. And we've recently added action, so it's more of 
it's kind of it's kind of off the wall stuff. I don't. It, sounds I guess good to gotta, me. <laughs> yeah, you could kind of compare it to trauma. What kind of we, good? Yeah, I'm a I'm a big trauma fan. Yeah, we had Drew Bolduck yeah. come on the show, and I love I love. Oh, cool. I, yeah, I love that approach. Well, Chad, thank you so much yeah. for coming on, and um, I hope to see you at one of the next festivals sometime. Yeah, thank you, Cameron, and uh, good luck to whatever what uh, whatever you have coming up next. I'm looking forward to seeing anything you do. Well, and mostly it's this podcast. So thanks for oh, listening. Okay. <laughs> Yeah. So they came from outer space here on WIR LP 97.3 FM, Richmond Indie Radio. Um, you can hear us every first and third Thursday here on WIR and find us wherever you get your podcasts. All right. Thank you, Cameron. Dolph's size and physique definitely did enhance his role, I'd say. He's a very big boy. He's a very big boy and a very stolid guy. I know because he slammed me into a couple of cars and, you know, it was, I'm still seeing stars from them. Oh,